Amen. Thank you all very much for leading us in the reading of God's Word. So um, I was out last week, so it is a joy to be before you. Um, some of you have asked where I was. I was nowhere restful or spiritual, and so there you go. Um, I was coaching my son's all-star team that he made, and that is now over because we were not good. So um, there you go. Uh, so, But we are in, uh, in the book of Acts as we start. And um, ultimately, look, like we're going to get back into Genesis next week. Uh, we take these little breaks throughout our preaching calendar um, for a purpose. We want to center our, our preaching calendar and therefore, hopefully, a, as a guide for our lives around the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus and now his sending of the Spirit. That's what Pentecost is all about. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about what that means as we go through it. I just want to summarize a little bit about what we just heard. Because to me, when I read Acts 2, and I don't know if you do this, but I read Acts 2 and I go, that just seems not relatable to me. You read Acts 2 and just feel like, okay, mighty rushing wind, tongues, split tongues of fire resting above everybody. Um, now I can speak in different languages, and people are understanding me. Does this seem relatable to you? Is this something that you do on Monday? If you do, I want to hang out with you. We're getting coffee. I want to experience it with you, um, and it'll be a good thing. But I just there's just part of this uh, particular part of the Bible that I think we're tempted to go, well, that's for somebody else. Because I don't speak in tongues this just must mean that it's relevant for someone else because I haven't experienced the mighty rushing wind of the Spirit. That just means it's probably for someone else. And I want to invite you into the story. It's for you. It's absolutely for you. It's already happened for you if you're a believer. And I want to talk about that as we go through this today. But let's just recap what we just read in three different languages or kind of half and half. Um, look, it's the Feast of Weeks. That's what Pentecost is. It's 50 days after Passover. The greatest and biggest festival that the Jews had was Passover. They all came into Jerusalem, hundreds of thousands, maybe even more than that, could have been millions going into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now, 50 days later, they come back with the first fruits of their harvest. And they're bringing that now back into Jerusalem, which is why everyone is gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world. God takes advantage of this strategically. This is not an accident. He's absolutely doing something purposeful here. So that's the Feast of Weeks. They're coming in, and now as they're all gathered into this upper room, so to speak, there's this mighty rushing wind. There's tongues of fire. Everyone is filled, the disciples anyway, are filled with the Spirit. They speak in different languages. That's the gift of tongues. You're speaking in a different language. The gospel was preached to those from every nation in Jerusalem. And the church, if we kept reading on in the book of uh, Acts chapter 2, we would find the church, that's you, was birthed. This is the birthday of the big C church, universal church, right here in Acts chapter 2. Now, I told our, our pre-huddle this earlier, that like on Monday, I felt really good about my sermon. And I was like, I got it all outlined, which never happens on a Monday. I was like, this is beautiful. I got it all worked out. And then I went back and I looked at what I preached last year, and all that I had worked out that the Lord had just so given me was what I preached last year. And so it was very clear to me because I'd already done it. So, and what did I say last year? You guys remember, don't you? Go ahead. Right there from the back. Yes, sir, you got your hand up. Go ahead. 
Oh, no one actually is back there with their hand up. Here's what I said last year. I talked about four benefits of Pentecost, and they were these. They all started with P. I was very preachy last Pentecost. It started off with the presence of God. That's the fire. That's what happens at Pentecost, is that the presence of God was amongst his people. Okay? That he didn't just come with presence, though. He also brought supernatural resurrection power in your heart, which I read from Romans 8, helps you say no to sin and yes to righteousness. So if you're caught in addiction, if you're caught in some sort of trap that you just sense, man, I just don't think I can get out of this. It's a lie. It's what the enemy wants you to believe. You've been watching Stranger Things. You know that that's exactly how the enemy works. Am I the only one watching Stranger Things with my children? Apparently so. I apparently need to repent. I apologize. There's a power there that overcomes the power of death, the power of sin, and it comes by the power of the Spirit. Additionally, the third P, we talked about he gives us, the Spirit of God helps us proclaim the gospel, but also the Spirit of God is proclaiming the gospel to us, whispering to his children, Abba, a testimony to us that you are God's children and then finally it was that God gave birth to a people you see those four benefits of Pentecost presence power proclamation and people aren't enough and so I thought I was a little downfallen crestfallen and down on Monday when I realized I already preached the sermon that was already in my head and I thought well I gotta go in a whole different direction not so my friends we are not done counting the benefits of Pentecost so I have three more for you today that would make the perfect number of seven, and if you're host way, that means something. Okay, it's a perfect number, right? Um, so here are our three benefits today. Regeneration, oh, I'm getting preachy. Rest and reminding. Regeneration, rest, and reminding. So here's my goal today, okay? It's going to be a bit theological. Uh, you, might, um, you might have the tendency to check out. Um, because it's a little bit theological. My goal is to not give you four steps to live by the Spirit, although that would be a really good sermon. I bet you there's a lot of those being preached right now. My goal right now is to stir up your affection for the Trinity, to stir up your affection for the God of the Bible, not just Jesus. We sing and we worship, about, uh, worship Jesus a lot, and that's good. The Spirit sings and worships Jesus too because it's part of himself. But the Spirit is alive and active and working in your heart, and we need to make sure we're aware of what the Spirit is up to. Because it's not just the person of Jesus doing the work, there's also some mighty work by the Spirit that he's doing and has done. So what's the first, or should I say fifth, benefit of Pentecost? Benefit number one, regeneration. If you just paid attention to one of the, uh, to one of the countries that was mentioned in Acts chapter 2, the Cretans were there. The Cretans were there, and Crete was this island where later on in the story, Paul will plant a church and leave his dude Titus there to oversee this new church planting adventure. And as he does so, he writes a, a letter to Titus. And so I just want to uh, uh, bring us, if you've got your hand in Acts, that's great. I'm actually probably not going to go back to Acts except just to mention it a minute. I want to then now venture us into the rest of, of the Bible. And so if you've got your Bible, it will come up on the screen, but it's always good to know where things are. It's in the T's of the New Testament. They all go in order. Um, if you don't know that, after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you've got the T's, which are Thessalonians, 
Timothy, and then Titus. And in this, in the third chapter of Titus, that I just want to put your mind a little bit on this fifth or first benefit of regeneration. Do you remember Jesus when there was a biblical scholar that approached him at night named Nicodemus? Um, Nicodemus is curious about the kingdom. He's wondering what Jesus is, is really all about. And Jesus says to him, you will not, very much so, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And if you're like me, you have to start wondering how that process takes place. How is it then that we must be born again? How is it that we get born again? It was something that confounded Nicodemus. He's like, do we crawl up into our mother's womb again? I mean, we can't do that. No. You've got to be born of the water, which is of your mother. You've got to be born of the spirit. Remember that part? You're looking at me like, no. He said it. You'll have to trust me. Go back in John 3. Born of the spirit. What do you mean? It's not just a spiritual birth. It is a birth through the power of the Spirit. Let's read now Titus chapter 3. And I actually want to go up, and I'm sorry, Andy, I should have told you this. I'm going to read chapter 3, and he's probably going to help us pick up. Uh, uh, read verse 3. He's going to help us pick up in verse 4. Titus 3, 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days. We just were bored. We were passing our days in malice. And in envy, hated by others and hating one another. Ah, summertime. <laughs> Verse 4. But when, oh man, that's a terrible idea and a terrible fate. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, saved, uh, God, our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, what is Paul trying to get Titus to understand and therefore helping us to get understand? And it is this. It is not that Jesus just paid for your sins. That is a historical and theological fact that we believe. It is also that you believe that if you're a believer. The only reason why you believe that if you're a believer is because before you believed, before Abram believed and it was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness right before he believed, there was a regeneration by the power and presence and person of the Spirit that happens in your heart. So this is significant. Because we all think when we're believers, when we become a believer, we're like, well, we're going to invite Jesus into our heart. We're going we're to do the prayer. We're going to get baptized. We're going to do all the things. The only reason why you even want to do that is because God remade your heart already. It's, it's what Ezekiel uh, 36 mentions when the prophet Ezekiel prophesies over Israel that there'll become a new covenant one day. And then in that new covenant, the Holy Spirit, there will be a spirit that cleanses you that washes you and that takes out your whole old heart of stone and puts in a new heart of flesh. That happens because the person of the Holy Spirit is doing a miraculous and mighty work in your heart. 
If you are a believer, there is no such thing as you not having a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a miraculous and mighty work in your life. I want you to hear that. That is an important reality. And here's what these things mean. That he is regenerating your heart. To regenerate, the Greek word here, literally is to be born again or to restart. It's, it's literally to, it's again Genesis. To start again. So I don't know if you have lived a life or you know someone who's lived a life that needs a new start. Like I, don't, I haven't had a Windows PC in a long time, but I do remember how to restart them or a hard restart with a Control-Alt-Delete. Uh, now I just don't restart because I have a Mac. Thanks. <laughs> but that's what God does to our hearts, right? He is restarting us, giving us something new, not just a, a fresh start, a new start, and it's a regenerate heart. He also then renews us, which that word means that he completely changes us. If you're a believer, you should be, and you probably have stories of pre Jesus, you, and post-Jesus, you. This last week, or last week I was out, I said I was coaching uh, my son's all-star team, and we weren't all that great, so we're out. But we did win one game, and that was helpful. But last Sunday, we won none um, last weekend. And, um, and it was a little rough because uh, the other team, man, they were just going after us. Um, we started the last thing a little late, and the other, uh, the other dugout I was standing next to while coaching third, and they were just giving me the business. And I went over and I told the other coaches, like, man, I'm glad y'all weren't over there. And they were like, me too, because I would not have reacted the way you reacted. And I said, oh, old Lance wanted to come out. Pre-Jesus Lance wanted to come out, but he's not allowed out. Not in a moment like this. And they were like... Pre-Jesus Lance, we want to know more about this guy. <laughs> you don't want to know more about that guy. You don't want to know more about that guy. He's not helpful. He, he's not someone you want to hang out with. But there is a pre-Jesus Lance. There's something new that happened on October 12th, 1999, about 10.05 p.m. at Breakaway at A&M. And, and all I can tell you is that as I look back now, that what I could only explain in the moment is like, I'm, I'm, I'm now a believer theologically. Now, as I read my Bible, particularly in, in Titus 2, the Holy Spirit regenerated my heart. And if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit also has regenerated your heart. We have then no claim or credit for salvation because it did not come from us. If you just read verse 3, we were slaves to various passions. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our transgressions, but God made us alive. Titus 3, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he washed us. We were passive. He did it, and we simply were the passive recipients. You see, the Holy Spirit has been moving in your life, friends. If you have a friend or a loved one who's not a believer, plead with the Holy Spirit to move in their lives, to regenerate to restart them, to cleanse them, to take out the heart of stone. It's not just enough to pray for them to receive the message. Pray to the Spirit that he would do a mighty and miraculous work. It's only then that we can say that we've been restarted and been renewed. This process is beautifully explained in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, where Lydia is saved, and it says, The Lord opened Lydia's heart to give heed to what was said by Paul. 
It's the Lord that opens our hearts where we even want to, quote unquote, receive him. The Lord is already doing a mighty work far before we would ever realize it. So not only do I want you to worship the Spirit, uh, to plead with the Spirit, but I also want you, and and I'm not trying to be offensive, but sometimes I can be offensive and not try. So I do want to say this. There is no such thing, friends, if you don't believe in, if, if you don't, so first of all, the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in a continuation of the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the speaking of the tongues. We believe in healing. We believe in prophecy. We believe in all those things as they are written out and according to the Scriptures. Number one. Number two, if you do not have the gift of tongues, you're not on JV. You don't have some junior varsity portion of the Spirit. If, you have, if, if your greatest gift is serving behind the scenes like my brother John did for his whole Christian life before he passed away a couple weeks ago, praise God. The Spirit is alive in you, friend. As much as it is for anybody that's on a stage or with a microphone or, or, or leading a prayer ministry or healing, I mean, the Spirit is alive in you. There's no such thing as a JV in God's household. You know why? Because of what I just read. If you're a believer, he's already done a miraculous and mighty work in your heart to make you alive. And there's no greater work than resurrection and regeneration in your heart. Period. I I need to hear that. I've had plenty of people in my life, in my ministry time, whether it be in seminary or afterwards, make me feel like I'm on JV because I don't have the gift of tongues. Or Or preaching. Or a particular type of preaching, or an anointing, or this certain type of personality that's very attractive. It doesn't have to be just one thing. It could be whatever thing that somebody has that then they now yield over you or wield over you in some sort of abusive or 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 or, or powerful and powerless way. It doesn't have to be just one thing. It could be a, a multitude. Of things. So I just want you to hear that as a believer, that there is no such thing. Listen, there is no such thing as a believer who is not empowered by the Spirit. No such thing. So when I hear full gospel churches, when I hear, oh, that's a Spirit-filled church, I know what they mean, but I also go, us too, it just looks different. Not better, not worse, just looks different. They're not better, no worse, just looks different. Okay, when we start thinking about this, I just, these are the things that creep into our hearts and into our minds. I just want us to understand that we must not neglect the Holy Spirit, not because we don't have the gift that we want, not because we don't have the certain personality that we wanted or that they have. I mean, look at all that they can do, but that instead God has done a miraculous resurrecting work in our lives. And without Pentecost, we are still dead in our sins, wondering how do we make sense of this Jewish Messiah, the Spirit gave you the sense right before you said yes to Jesus. He gave you the sense. So that's benefit number one, regeneration. The next benefit that I want to highlight today is rest. In Acts chapter 2, it says that these split tongues of fire came to do something on each of them. Not on the assembly, on each of them, and it did something that it had never done before in all of history, and it rested on the believers. 
It rested. This idea of God resting on or in his people by his spirit was something that never happened in the Old Testament. So our buddy Moses didn't have what we have. David didn't have what you have. You read the Psalms and you, you, you see a, a, a king, David, who's pleading with God when he sins, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. We don't have to play, pray that prayer. You know why? Because he won't. He has promised to stay with us and in us forever. The language throughout the Old Testament is that he rested, he dwelled, and that word is he has no intention of moving on. He's going to stay. He's going to stick. He's going to rest in you. It doesn't really matter what you do. Now, there's two ways to enjoy God resting in you. One is that you enjoy it and you realize he's doing a mighty and miraculous work in you and you start to obey him and you do things that you actually need the spirit to show up. And that's, that's, that's unbelievable joy. And I, I think this, most of the church, Big C Church, I'm not just necessarily calling us out, I'm calling all churches, most of the church doesn't live a life that's risky enough where we need the spirit to do something. We just, we build a nice, peaceful home, we build it out, and then we're dreaming about that pool, just me and my house, cool. We're dreaming about that pool, and we're wondering what we can just do to make, get all the creature comforts that we can find. And somehow we, we, we get sucked right into this thing called the American dream. Instead of living by the power and the presence of the Spirit. The good news is, y'all, that the Spirit will not move on from you. Now, again, we can enjoy it, or it can be a little bit miserable when we grieve the spirit inside of us through sin, disobedience, just not doing what God calls us to do. But there are absolutely some implications to this. Again, I've said he will never intend to move on from you. But when uh, the spirit rests on God's people, the only other person that the spirit rested on to this point was Jesus. At his baptism. So whatever we think about the ministry and the life and the power that Jesus had, you have. Now we can believe that or we can go, well, probably not. I mean, my sin kind of gets in the way. Sure it does. And he had like a beautiful, perfect line to the Father. He knew exactly what to do. And then it was all written down for us to also know exactly what to do. So he's never going to intend to move on from you, no matter how stubborn or rebellious we may become. Also, you have a seal because God now rests in you. You now have a seal upon you. And this is where I want to go for this next verse. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Look at what it says. Again, Paul writing to now the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I think it's going to come up on your screen. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, that is the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, when you became a believer, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of that inheritance to the praise of his glory. 
You see, he has sealed you, and this idea here in ancient times was that if there was like an envelope or a scroll back in those days, they would seal it with the signet ring of a royal authority by dipping their ring into wax and sealing that scroll up so that whenever it would be delivered, they would go, hey, this came from King blah, 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 and the King blah, blah, blah's ring was right there. And they go, oh, it is from King blah, blah, blah. It's owned. This message is owned by King blah, blah, blah. And you, friends, have the same seal of ownership on you from King Jesus so that when you, the message of the gospel, God's message to the world that he loves them and didn't come to condemn them, you now bear the same seal of ownership that the Spirit of God, the miraculous, present, powerful Spirit of God works through regular old people like you and me, you're now that seal to the world. There's ownership over you. Not just as a master, not just as a lord, but of possession. Think of a father or a mother to a son and a daughter. Like I don't know about you or what you do with your kids, but my kid does something. Like I just want to shout and be like, yes, that's my dude right there. That's my girl right there. And when they fail on the baseball or softball field, I'm like, oh, it hurts me worse. It doesn't hurt you. And I'm like, oh. That is how God's ownership of us is, that he is so proud of us, and yet it so grieves him when we mess up in life. We were sealed with ownership, but not only that of protection. Look at what it says. Who is the guarantee? The Spirit is our guarantee, our down payment of an inheritance. He paid the down payment, and he is the inheritance forever and ever. That we have a seal of protection on us that we will, if you're a believer, you cannot lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. So if you live a life where all of a sudden you're no longer following Jesus, one, either you're a believer and you're, you're grieving the spirit of God within you, or you were never a believer to begin with. God does not want a lifetime of disobedience. God does not want a lifetime of meh to God. If we are believers, he doesn't want that for anybody, but certainly as we are believers. But there is good news. If we're going through a rough spot or a down spell or we're quote unquote backslidden, there is a seal of guarantee over you and of protection over you. John 10 says this, Jesus was speaking, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Not you, you can't snatch yourself out of Jesus' hand. His grip The grip of grace is far greater than any sin you could ever commit. There is a rest then that should accompany God's presence that you should say, I am his and he is mine. It's like when you finally get married to the one that you loved and you finally get there and you're like, oh man, this is it. Like she can't leave. This is awesome. (laughs) And I can't either and I don't want to. And she hopefully doesn't want to. That's the beauty. It's a a beautiful symbol of God's commitment to us that we shall never depart one another, and he has no intention of moving on. Finally, the last benefit today of Pentecost, a reminding. Not just regeneration, not just a rest, but a reminding. And this, again, comes out of Jesus' mouth himself from John chapter 14, Verse 26, it will come up on the screen. 
Jesus says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Look, look, look at, look at the, the Trinity at work here. The Father is sending the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You feel lost in your walk? The Holy Spirit will teach you. Feel like you've forgotten Jesus over these last few weeks? The Holy Spirit is here to remind you. See, it's never the Spirit that has walked away from you. Because remember, he's resting on you. He's dwelling inside of you as his new temple, so to speak. So it's not him that's walking away or creating distance, but we will walk away and we can create distance. It's like your phone, right? Like your phone when you have a group me, say, if you've ever had this. Um, and you think to yourself, well, fine to be in the group, but notifications silenced. And my peace is restored. Uh, this, we, that's kind of like what a lot of Christianity becomes is that we're in the group, we're in the club, we're in the family of God, but we've, no, we've, we've silenced our notifications of the Spirit by simply walking away from His Word, His people, and in His ways. And so whatever He wants to say to us, we've gone, no thanks, too inconvenient, you're interrupting my life or this show or whatever I'm doing on the side that no one knows about, and that little red dot, I'll go without the Spirit is here. That's the whole reason He's here. One of the main reasons He's here in your life is to remind you, to notify you of what Jesus has already done in your life. May we be comforted by His reminding. Because, again, there's two points of emphasis here. Is that, that is, number one, we need to live lives that need the Spirit's reminding in our lives but secondly the second danger and I just want to talk about this for a moment is that we I think oftentimes settle too quickly for other people's experience of the spirit somebody else has the bat phone to heaven and we'll just call them or read their book or go to their conference or um, listen to their podcast or listen to their sermons or come to church, and we go, well, Lance is going to take care of that, or Josue, or Aaron, or whomever else that you really love to listen to. They got the bat phone to heaven, or the red phone to heaven. Back in the day, there was this TV show called Batman, and they had a red phone, and it would pick up the command. Anyways, the whole thing. Guy wore tights. It was amazing. He wasn't fit. It was like me in there. It was like, this is great. This is relatable. <laughs> Anyways, there was a bat phone to heaven. It was a red phone. It was like a direct line to Jesus. That's what I'm trying to get to, right? There's a danger in relying on someone else's red phone or direct line to Jesus. You are short-circuiting your faith if you are relying on Moses to go up the hill. Jesus has come all the way down the hill to meet with you. And so that you wouldn't forget that he did that, he then did the further work by sending the Spirit in you to regenerate you, to give you rest, and to remind you of these things. But because we are tempted to walk and to depend on someone else's direct line to heaven. Let me just highlight a few dangers. The prophet Jeremiah says, my people have committed two sins against me. Um, one of them being that they have basically forsaken me. The second one being that they have they've hewn out cisterns of their own making. They're shallow 
They're not living waters, as he says. They've, they've, they've forsaken the living waters, and they have created their own wells. They're, they're self-dependent. They can go back to that well, and it might be there, but it's not as beautiful and living and active as the only well that has come to give you these things. And so there's a little bit of a historical repetition for God's people to go to something man-made instead of going directly to living waters. And this is what we can get falsely assured by. Four things. Number one is experience. We have an experience somewhere and we lie to ourselves, we tell ourselves that we need that same experience if we're going to experience the Spirit. I had a great experience with Dr. Larry Crabb, who's now passed away, and dancing with uh, John Hilliard and Angela Prosser and many others that we know and love in heaven. And I had a great experience with him in 2011. It would be a lie if before he died I tried to go back to his conference and try to recreate and recapture that life-changing thing that happened. It's this line of Prince Caspian when Aslan is talking to Lucy She's like, what in the world? Like, why didn't you show up? And he basically says, things never happen the same way twice. Or a way that one of my seminary professors rephrased that is, God is powerful enough to do whatever he wants and far too creative to do the same thing twice. We can't go back to that same well. It's a false assurance that we might go back to that place, to that person, it's not going to work, right? That's a false assurance, number one, of experience. False assurance, number two, is emotion. If we get caught up in an emotional experience, it's easy to do, it's fun to do, but trying to live in an emotional high is like living on a mountaintop. Above 10,000 feet, there's not enough oxygen to survive up there. There's no trees. There's no animals. That's why you don't see them above there, that mountaintop experience, that emotional high. You've got to come down into the valley where God meets his people and he shepherds us. Or there's a false assurance of environment or atmosphere. The students are going to go to camp this week. There's going to be lasers and smoke machines and fun. And then you're going to come back and go, why can't our church do lasers and smoke machines? I'll tell you a really simple answer why. We don't want to for a reason. Jesus isn't here to entertain you. It's fine to go and do that for a week. Okay? We're weaning you off of the entertainment of the world and now pointing you to a Jesus who says, come and get everything you'll ever need from the well of living waters. He's never had lasers or a smoke machine. Although I do have a friend that has a smoke machine. He goes, hey, man, you don't have one of these? I go, I don't. He goes, well, the Holy Spirit won't show up until you get a smoke machine. <laughs> if you could give me that one right there, that'd be great. I keep waiting for him to deliver. It's not happening. That's fine for an experience. It's fine for a week, but you cannot sustain life that way. Your, your, your God is going to meet you on a Monday in a quiet place or in a tragedy on a Thursday. It's in those places that God will make himself real to you, students. Not necessarily with lasers. That's fun. But it's also a product of no sleep, lots of caffeine, and a whole bunch of people that you didn't know more than five minutes. There's also this false assurance of attraction or personality. Celebrity pastors are a thing because of charisma and a good PR department. I don't know about what you have been doing in your lunch hour, but I've been um, indulging in a little guilty pleasure called uh, Community. Do you know this show? 
was on NBC a long time ago. I like this show. I don't know why I like this show, but I like this show. And I watch it on Netflix during my lunch hour sometimes. It's about 24 minutes long. And as I watch it, this little episode came to mind. There's a guy named Troy, and he always wanted to um, have a picture of LeVar Burton. Do you know who LeVar Burton is? It's from Reading Rainbow from your childhood. And if you're too young for that, God bless you. And I can't explain it other than it's LeVar Burton. So anyways, he was on Star Trek, um, which I did not watch. So there you go. LeVar Burton, he wanted a picture of it, but they brought LeVar Burton to Troy, and Troy freaked out because he didn't want to meet LeVar Burton because he didn't want his personality, his celebrity, his idol to be in the room. He just wanted to keep the image of him there. The real person was a disappointment, and he didn't want to be disappointed by the real person. He just wanted to keep his idol up on the wall to just be like, man, a signed picture of LeVar Burton. Your celebrity, pastor, pastor, hero, whoever it is, if it's anyone that's ever hit this stage, we're going to disappoint you. Your spiritual hero will disappoint you. The guy on the podcast, the lady that wrote the book, that's doing the conference, whatever it is, if you got close, they'd be a big disappointment. I would be a big disappointment. I'll have coffee with you and you'll go, man, that was a big disappointment. I go, yeah, I mean, I told you. I've been saying it for years. But instead of getting swept up into the New York Times bestsellers book, which is probably theologically light, instead of getting caught up into that healing crusade or that holistic ministry uh, conference, nothing wrong with a lot of that, but let's just like put our theological ears on. Go, is this theologically okay? And even if it is okay, is it something that's going to benefit my spiritual walk and therefore the people in our church? No, instead, let us be a people that go to the source himself, and his name is Jesus. So, I close with this, the charge. The spirit-filled life is here for the taking. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can walk by the power and the presence of the spirit right now when you walk out of this room? If you do, how? How are you going to do that? How are you going to walk out of this room with the power and the presence of the Spirit in your life that actually people can see and go, man, this is something different here? Can I give you one hint? Give you one, one basic hint. Because the Spirit has already given us the truth and the answer. Jesus says this, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance that I have said to you. You want to know how you live a spirit-filled life? Read the Bible. There's no magic trick. There's no pony went out. This is it. You can't neglect this and live by the power of the Spirit. You cannot neglect a personal time with Jesus on a regular basis and then try and get yourself into a position where you're trying to battle sin or addiction or overworking or whatever it may be and think that you're going to to be victorious in that moment. Because the Spirit of God, one of his main jobs for you is to remind you of what Jesus has said. 
And if you're going to be reminded of something, that means there's got to be a deposit in you already of the scriptures. More than what we say here on a Sunday. More than what you're going to do in your neighborhood group or your growth group. But by your own discipline, getting into God's word. I, like, we can't get past that as Christians. Devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching is still a really beautiful practice for God's people. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, may we never forget the simplicity of following you, reading and praying, then obeying. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us believe the truths in your scriptures that we're all gifted differently. Tongues is beautiful. Prophecy is beautiful. Preaching, teaching, beautiful, but equally as beautiful as the gift of mercy, as the gift of service, as the gift of, as the gift of hospitality, Things that, that no one, no mass amount of people will ever probably see in us. And I pray, oh Lord, that we would believe these things. I pray that we would live out of this restful place that you, O oh Holy Spirit, are in us, with us, and perhaps more importantly, for us. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that are marked out by spiritual development, but by your Spirit, you would begin to allow these people to demonstrate the fruit of your spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I pray that we would be a worshipful people. On a Sunday and in the everyday, Lord, let us live like we belong to you, because we do. In Christ's name do I pray. Amen. Let's worship together.